Amen. Thank you, Drew, Stephanie, Heather, team. Good morning, church. If you will, grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be in just a few moments. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 19 through 24 in just a few moments together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Uh, You heard Brian announce this earlier, but I want to share with you as our time of family prayer today. Each week we take a moment to pray together corporately before we enter God's Word together. And this week's focus of prayer is for our Wednesday nights beginning this coming week, February the 14th. We thought it quite romantic to start this Wednesday, right? Uh, to get together for something we call Double Oak University. And I, I want to point out to you a, a couple of things about this. Number one, these classes are going to begin at 6.30. You'll notice the financial piece class will last longer. It'll, it'll go a little bit longer uh, than the foundations of the faith class. But I, I just kind of want to give you some primer um, on why we do this, right? And then why this is actually not just an informational moment, but really genuinely a focus of prayer. Um, number one, our longing and our goal is, is to do this. We want to pursue Jesus and we want to pursue others, right? And that means that we're called to live with purpose and intentionality in community. And so if we're going to do that, if we're going to really do that together, that means we want to take opportunities and create genuine, specific, dedicated, very intentional discipleship moments so that we can grow together as a body in community and know the Lord in a deeper way. So this is what we're doing on Wednesday nights for these dates. We're looking at taking the opportunity to have two classes and and really moments of conversation together surrounding what it looks like, number one, to live in such a way where we're able to bless others because God has blessed us. To live in such a way that we reflect really the plan, the core, and some of what we're going to be talking about today, what it looks like to live generously, to give generously in such a way that we are provided for and we can steward the blessings that God has given us, not only to meet our own needs, but also the needs of others and to do that in healthy ways. So if, if that's something you're interested in, you might just say, look, like, like, I know we have a budget. We all have one. I think some of us just don't ever look at it, Right. <laughs> But if, if, if you are in a place where you say, look, it's, it's hard to like say this. It's hard to acknowledge this. You don't even look at your spouse and say, look, I, I don't want to say that. But we're just not doing as well, and we're not as organized as I'd like to be. And if you'd like to figure out, this is, I want to be very clear, this is not a cure-all by any means, but this is a means in which some tools, some opportunities to help you grow in stewarding what God has given you well, then I would encourage you to go out today and sign up for that financial peace class. It will be a huge blessing to you and your family, not just for this moment or for this season, but likely for years to come. Second, um, there's another class that I'm going to help lead and bring in some folks alongside me uh, on different weeks to help with. It's called Foundations of the Faith, because here's the deal. We talked about this some to a large degree in our, in our series that we opened the year with in pursuit and trying to discern, all right, what is God's purpose for me? What does it look like to live intentionally? How do I do that in community? There are three very specific things that we are called to, and it's our joy to be a part of and experience as believers individually and both together. And here's what three of those things are. Number one, understanding and knowing God through his word. How many of us believe that we should read the Bible? How many of us are really good at doing that very consistently? All right, we got something, right? And then how many of us are crazy confident that, man, I know how to read the Bible? Probably even less of us, right? 
over the course of these six weeks, the first couple of weeks are going to be like, how do we read the Bible? It's going to be insanely simple and practical. And if you come to those couple of weeks, you're going to walk away with a deep confidence that, hey, it, there's a lot of different options, a lot of different ways to read God's word. But now I've got a handhold on a few of them and I can go spend time with God in his word. The next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on prayer. What does it look like to pray? Now, I think we do a lot of this easier that comes more naturally because we have a lot of needs right? And it's easy to go to God in that fashion, but is that the only way to pray? What does it look like to pray, and what is prayer really all about? We're going to explore that for a couple weeks together, and you're going to walk out of there. I really genuinely believe in such a way where you're saying, I'm more desirous of spending time with the Lord and talking to the Lord in prayer, and this is not just me getting my needs met or, or, or a wish list, but instead, I'm actually communing with the God who loved me and saved me. It'll be really, really special. The following two weeks, uh, and this is a little more interactive here, but just, look, we're, we're going to talk about sharing our faith. How many of us are confident in sharing the gospel? When we say sharing the gospel, I bet a, a very few of us would just jump up and say, hey, that's me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for that. I know how to do that. Even more so, how many of us know how to share the gospel in the context of how Jesus has saved us, our story? If you'll come for the last two weeks the Foundation of the Faith class, you'll have the opportunity. We're going to walk through these two very simple things. Number one, what does it mean to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection? We're going to learn how to share that effectively. But number two, the following week, we're going to learn how to share that out of what God has done in our lives, in your life, how he saved you and redeemed you, and how you can share the good news of what Jesus has done for others through what he's done in you. It's not going to be crazy intimidating. In fact, I think it's going to be a ton of fun, and we're going to learn and grow together so that we can intentionally, genuinely pursue Jesus and others. Amen? This is, what, this is what these few weeks look like. Here's the thing. I, I want to say this, too. I got a bunch of little bitties, and a, a number of us have children, and we have jobs, and we have sports, and all kinds of stuff. So I want to be very clear. This is not a guilt trip. This is not, we're not taking attendance and looking around and saying, yep, you weren't there Wednesday, you weren't there Wednesday. That is not the case. This is an opportunity. And, and there will be times, perhaps, you know, with a financial peace class, you got to be there every week. That's like, that's a necessary thing. But w- with, with our class, you, you, you may, there may be weeks you miss. I'm, I don't want you to miss. I want you to come. I want you to be a part. But I don't want you to not come because you didn't come the first week and say, well, I missed it. It's over. And come and be a part. Each week there will be something and an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. And here's what we're going to pray towards this morning. We're not going to pray towards high attendance. We're not going to pray that it's just a a fun time. We're going to pray that God would actually grow us up, that he would mature us as we discover what it means to honor and steward the resources he's given us well, and as we grow in the understanding of our faith in the Lord Jesus. Like We're praying that for ourselves individually this morning, and we're praying it for the brothers and sisters, our church family that's here around us, all right? Can we do that this morning? Can we pray those two things? Reluctantly? All right, let's pray this with excitement. If you will, bow your heads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there's so many incredible things happening in the life of our church. And for these two things, we're incredibly thankful. Father, for the opportunity to have this space uh, to gather here to worship you uh, weekly on Sundays. Father, for that, we're incredibly thankful. And Father, for the opportunity on Wednesdays to get together, to spend time together, to grow as a family of faith to deepen our relationship with you and others. For that, we're thankful. Father, I do pray for the individuals in this room that that these opportunities on Wednesdays 
uh, will be a means through which you will strengthen their faith. Father, they will grow in wisdom and understanding of your grace and who you are and what you have done for them in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, do that in me as well. And then, Father, I pray that for all of us as a church family that you would grow us through this. Father, not that we would just grow in knowledge, but that we would grow in love. That we would grow in such a way where we would desire to put into action within our friendships and our families and our relationships with, with folks all throughout this community and our lives. The love that you've shown us in your son, Jesus. Father, we ask you to do these two things for us. We are in deep need of you. We pray these in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 9 as we continue in our series in giving. But I want to start... Um, I really kind of just, uh, look, I don't have a uh, future or a career in comedy by any means, um, but I want to start this morning by basically like ripping off my favorite comedian in the world. Uh, he has this bit where he just says that life is essentially the, what he calls the trashification of all things, that everything that you and I have in life that we possess is in some stage or a varying degree of becoming trash. Like everything that we own is in some way either becoming or will become trash. Because here's what he says happens, and I think this is so brilliant. He says we go and buy things, right? And particularly a lot of times we buy things for our home. And we buy this thing for our home, and when we first get it, it has the place of honor. It is displayed in like a livable space, right? It's like the, the, you know, the highest regard is like the kitchen counter. That's where like that's reserved or the island, right? Or the living room or the mantle or a place like that. These things that we have go to this place of honor. But eventually, even the things that we love for a season, we kind of fall out of love with, right? And they're not so new anymore. And they get relegated to one of these three places of despair, right? Either a closet, a cupboard, or a drawer, you have all these things that you once loved or valued or cherished, and now they're just hidden away, right? Like, it's the mistake you don't want other people to see that you made. But then there's a place that's even further down the list, and this place is called the garage. Here's how you know nothing is coming back from the garage, because the garbage cans are in there. Like, it's this close to, like, being actual garbage. You don't see a lot of things like go into the garage and then like come back into the house, right? There's one more place. Um, it's called a personal storage unit. And this is where you pay to have your things that are becoming trash stored. You pay to have them stored and then you go and you unlock the lock, right? And you roll up the, the, the door or you open the deal and then it's almost as if you're going in there and like, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys out. I'm going to see. You know, I'm working. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. We're not there yet, but we're, we're going to get to this place, right, where maybe we can rescue you guys. Or there's the final frontier that humanity created, which we call eBay. And this is where, I love it. This is so brilliant. He says, this is where we just mail each other trash back and forth, right? So I'm like, you know, up late at night, like bidding on pots and pans in Des Moines, Iowa, right? And then, then I'll pay this person for their trash and they'll ship it to me. Because after all, we all know the phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? 
Jesus talks a lot about treasure. And Jesus knows that we have a propensity to treasure the wrong thing. Jesus knows us, and he knows that our treasure can be misplaced. We're going to look into this passage in just a couple of moments in Matthew chapter 6 and look at verses 19 through 24 and see this passage in which Jesus teaches on treasure. And he really gets to the heart of who we are. I mean, from the very beginning, from the inception, from our creation, who we are and who we are meant to be, and what it looks like, and how that relates to this idea of treasure. I know you, and you know me. There are things that we love, things that we value, things that we really hold, and that we really want. Things that seemingly bring meaning to our lives, at least for a season until it becomes trash, right? Jesus knows this too. And this morning, we get the opportunity as we talk about what it looks like to give and a theology of giving, an understanding of giving, what, is, what, what, how do, what do I have to give? What am I meant to give? You know, from, a, from a money standpoint, from a time standpoint, from, a, from an equipping, a talent, a gifting standpoint, what is it that I have to give? And, and when we're confronted with this, the hope is that we'll walk away and feeling this way. Not, not that the question is, what do I have to give? What am I obligated to give? But what do I have to give? What has God blessed me with? What has he given me that I might freely and generously give with others so that I can reflect the beauty and the goodness of God who has given me everything in Christ Jesus? Amen? If we will, let's read together. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And before we read that, I want to share with you three big things to look for, three big things we hope to see in the text today. Number one, this deep truth that we are created to treasure. We are created to treasure. Second, we're created to treasure not something that will perish or go away, but actually we're created to treasure something that lasts. We're created to treasure what lasts, or what will last, rather. And then finally, we have a limited capacity, a limited ability, and we're created in this way. We can treasure one thing. All of us will treasure one thing. There's this beautiful picture we're going to get in the Old Testament from Exodus in this uh, in just a few moments as well. So let's read together Matthew chapter 6, right in kind of uh, the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at, or the end rather, we're going to read verses 19 through 24. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together, thanks be to God. The first thing we see 
Number one is that we are created to treasure. As Jesus begins this teaching, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in so many ways, the Sermon on the Mount is a recapitulation. It's a reordering. It's a restating. Jesus is saying it's so many things that a number of the people that are walking with him would have heard. Things that they understand. Things like the Ten Commandments. The law that has been given to them. And if you really read through it and think about it, for a moment... It seems like a pretty big bummer. Because all the things that Jesus says, all the things that we're called to, we get this very real sense in which I can't do this. I can't keep all of these laws. I can't keep this instruction. I can't do all of these things. But the good news is that all this teaching points to our need for a Savior and for what Christ has done for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. As this passage begins, Jesus teaches us that we were created to treasure, that we were meant to treasure something. Because in so many ways, we might like hear a dialogue or this thought process of that like my whole life all these things that I accumulate they really just all become trash and everything just goes away and all these all this stuff I have is really meaningless maybe I'm not meant to treasure stuff maybe the Christian life is such in which I lived like this monk or whatever right where I just run away and hide from the world and I don't treasure anything and that's not the case at all that's not what Jesus is saying but what he's pointing out to us is that we actually were created to treasure. Look back into verse 19 and see this language. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Notice that Jesus doesn't describe this in such a way where there's this presupposition or he supposes that you won't be like that. He acknowledges, store up for yourself treasures. And don't store up for yourselves treasures because he knows what? We will store up for ourselves treasures. This is not a question of if that's something that happens with us. It's a recognition and a reality that it will happen with us. We are people who treasure. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. I want us to read verses 1 through 7 together. And we read this a couple of weeks ago. And we even described this morning, even in singing, that Jesus has, God has walked with us through Christ through the fire. I want you to see this. This is Isaiah chapter 43. It says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Do you hear the good news of the gospel in this? Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. And here, verse 7, look at this. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God has created us. He has formed us. He has designed you and 
built you to treasure. Now, what does this passage reveal to us? That we're called to treasure him alone, and that we're going to fail, and we're going to mess up, and we're going to put our trust in other things, and yet he redeems us through Jesus. Look at verse 21, and kind of the close of this passage. This is what it says. The people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You were created to treasure the God who made you. You were created to enjoy him and to glorify him and to hold the Lord your God. Jesus Christ, his son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God is meant to be the very treasure that captivates your heart. But Jesus knows for us, it's very attractive to put our trust, to make things our treasure that are temporal. Things that are of the earth, things that are not going to last. So the second thing we realize from this passage is not that just that we were created to treasure, that, they, that we were designed, that we were formed, that we were made to treasure, and specifically God. But second, we're created to treasure what lasts. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There's a couple of things that are happening in this verse that we need to take note of. Number one, Jesus is speaking to very directly to a group of people and two very specific things that he lists with regard to like the texture and the things that they're composite made of in this passage. Number one, he says, don't Store up treasures for yourself where moth and rust destroy. Where moth and rust destroy. What is he saying? Number one, in some ways, like this is kind of an example that, that people who were being given away in marriage, right? In this time, in Jewish culture, in this, in this setting in life, one of the things that would be a part of their dowry or their gift would be fine linens, clothes, textiles, all of those things. This was like societally a picture of wealth and of status and of beauty, a desirous place to be in to be able to give one's daughter away with all of these things. But Jesus says this, you know, moths are going to destroy that. They're gonna, those things are not going to last. Those things are going to be destroyed. He also mentioned rust. Like the natural effect of precious metals that could potentially rust over time. So people who are putting their hope in any form of currency or, or any sort of weaponry or any things that are fashioned in a metallic way, these things eventually will rust over time. This is not the age of stainless steel, my friends. All right? Jesus is saying, don't put your treasure in these things that ultimately are going to be destroyed because you were created to treasure something that lasts. You look down even further in verse, 20, uh, in verse 20, it says also this, where thieves do not break in and steal. What value is it to have something that can be taken away? And so he's presenting the reality, the alternative. There is something that you can treasure that actually lasts. Things that won't, you know, the sweater that you have in an attic that you got out because it's cool again, right? And now you love it and it's in fashion and you hold it up and it's just like a piece of Swiss cheese and there's just moss eating through it, right? We don't put our treasure in things like that. Why? Because it can be destroyed. You know, I mean, I, I made this joke with our team the other day as we were just kind of talking through this passage together. Um, you know, like even, even the banks, 
This is where we place the money that we have. They have that little notice, right? The FDIC will insure your money up to a certain amount. They don't even cover anything beyond that. Now, I live in a world where I'll never reach that amount that is needing to be insured, right? You you might not either, and that's okay. But even the bank is telling you, hey, we can't protect beyond a certain amount. We're not going to put ourselves at risk beyond that because there are thieves There are people, there are those who could break in and steal and destroy and take your wealth that you thought was protecting you for the moment or for the next moment or for the future or forever. No, those things don't last. What are the three things that last? Number one, look at Psalm 136 and verse 1. The first thing that lasts is God himself. This is Psalm 136.1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The love of God and God himself lasts eternally. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Before all things, God is eternal. And that love that endures forever, if you read Psalm 136, if you open to that passage in your Bible right now, you would see all these refrains over and over and over again that describe that God continually, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Almost at one point, it gets hard to read because you're like, you know, I know it's coming. I get it. But the point of that cadence and that rhythmic repetition is to help us remember and understand The writer is essentially saying this, even in his style of writing, this never ends. God endures forever. Two other things that endure. The second is this, the word of God. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 24 and 25, and you're going to see this phrase that that Peter uses writing to early New Testament churches in Asia Minor and Turkey, present-day Turkey, kind of all these areas. This young church is beginning to start in all these different places, and he writes this letter of deep hope and deep encouragement in the midst of their struggle, and this is what he says to them, and it's an echo of Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. What does it say? All flesh is like grass. And all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of God will endure forever. All the stuff, all the things we're wearing, all the things that we seemingly put our hope and our trust and our joy and our life into around us, no, those things will pass away. Our flesh even the thing that is most real to us, that we walk around in and live in every day, that flesh will fall. That flesh will fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So what's the third thing that lasts? Well, the third thing is this. It's the souls of men. Because our flesh will fall. It will fail. But our soul will not. Look at Mark Chapter 8, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. And this is really pivotal because this is the moment in which Jesus has just rebuked Peter. And then he says to the disciples, the crowd, all that are, that are around him, he says this, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? The whole world. 
Now hear this. And forfeit his soul. So Jesus is teaching in the midst of this deep moment where he said, look, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be murdered. For your sake, the Son of Man will voluntarily hand himself over and will ultimately be raised on the third day. And his disciples probably had the same question that Peter did and probably were mildly disappointed that this is where they believe they are, that, that Jesus, who's done all these miracles, all of these things, that this is his plan? It's to die? That, that didn't sit well with them. Peter's the one who speaks up and says, look, Jesus, you got to get it together here, essentially. This, this is, it can't go this way. And Jesus rebukes them and says, this is the plan. The plan is for me to die for you so that you can actually lose the little life that you think you're building, Right, This little thing that you think you're doing, seeking to have status or notoriety or love or, 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 or adoration from this world and instead lose all that for my sake and the good news of what I will do for you. And then your soul will endure and endure with him. Because here's the reality. Flesh falls, but souls live forever. Now, they live in one of ultimately two places. C.S. Lewis describes this in The Weight of Glory, and he says this. And I think it's really, really important when we think about what it means to really consider where we're investing our time, where we're investing our energy, what we're treasuring, what really lasts. Look at what Lewis says. I think we have that slide, Amber. Hopefully, if not, I've got it here before me. It says, uh, this is from The Weight of Glory. It says this, there are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. So think about this. Lewis is saying you, you've never talked to somebody who is just here today, gone tomorrow. He says nations, cultures, art, civilization, these things are mortal. And their life is to ours the life of a gnat. But it's immortals. Immortals. Those are the people that we joke with, that we work with, that we marry, that we snub and exploit. They are either, and this is the categories that we have the option to be a part of, immortal horrors, eternally separated from God, or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we're to be perpetually solemn. He says we must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. And Here's what he means by all of this. Lewis is saying, all of us, look, like, look around, take a minute and look around this room at one another. Look at each other. Like, do it. Look around. We, we do this thing, man, where we just, we sit and we don't see others and we walk by. And we, and we yeah, I know they're here and I see them, they're here, but I'm here and I'm in my seat and I'm here for my thing. Do we regard one another when we see one another, and we do like really mortal, seemingly mortal things, right? Like we are in the cheese section at Publix together, right? But when you're there, you're staring at somebody who's in the way and trying to get the mild cheddar, and it's the last one because it's the only ones your kids will eat, and they're just taking it from you, and you go home with Monterey Jack, and nobody's happy, right? 
you're, you're looking at somebody who's immortal. They're a soul. They're going to live forever. They're either going to live forever in the presence of God with Christ Jesus, who's given himself for them, or they're going to live apart from the presence of God. And truly an immortal horror that we can't imagine. So these are the things that last. God himself, his word, and the souls of men. Jesus is drawing us to see that we're called to treasure what lasts. Third and finally, we will treasure only one thing. Only one thing. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The first thing I want to point out about this passage is that Jesus' way of speaking is very Jewish. And he's talking to a group of people with language that they would certainly understand because in their language, it was really, really important to make these strong divisions and dichotomies to help people understand where one's love and allegiance and loyalty was found. So Jesus is not saying that if you really love God then you hate money. Burn all the money. Don't have anything. Have no money. That is not what this is saying. What it is saying is that your love for God would be so strong, it would be so passionate, it would be so genuine and pure, and therefore visible, that subsequently it would seem as if you hated money. That it didn't even match up in any way, shape, or form in comparison to your love for God. Here's the interesting thing about this passage. Jesus says that we are truly, radically, and completely limited in our ability to worship more than one thing. We can't do it. We will worship one thing. One thing. And God has called us to worship one thing, namely himself. Look into Exodus chapter 20, and you'll remember this. This passage is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And keep specifically verse 2 in your head as we read this together. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. There's that strong language again, right? But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. We get this beautiful picture that God has redeemed his people. That God has redeemed his people. And they are to love him alone. That they're created to worship. They're created to worship him who lasts. And they're created to worship just that one thing. Now, fast forward. I don't know what like, timeline specifically in history this is, but call it 12 chapters. Okay, We're in Exodus 32. And this incredible thing happens that depicts this implication that we are people who will worship. If you, you might sit here this morning and say, look, I, Michael, that's, that's kind of a church word. And I'm not really a worshiper. My friend, you are. My friend, you are. 
And this biblical passage, I hope the Lord will use to, to reveal that to not only you, but myself. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, right? Moses has gone up the mountain to commune with God. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So people like us that really struggle with waiting, right? We've, we've, we're like taking a pretty far leap. Like we just don't know what has happened to him. We know where he's gone. We know where he is. But all of a sudden we're freaking out, right? So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, look at this. Notice his language. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. A couple of things at play here that are, that are just stick it out at us that we need to see. Number one, we have fashioned a golden calf and said, this is who has brought you out of Egypt. That is in direct opposition to what really happened. Because what did we see in Exodus 20, verse 2? That it's the Lord God who has brought his people out of Egypt. So what happens? In the midst of their waiting, they're, they're worship, they got to worship. They're dying to worship. So they build something out of earrings, out of everyone's ears. Lots of people or lots of earrings, probably a combination of both, Right? They fashion a golden calf because they are people who were created to treasure, to worship. And you notice in that last part, Aaron says, these are your gods, O Israel. These are your gods. There's something really important happening in this moment for us to see. This is plural language. These. But what God is revealing to us and drawing us to see is that all of those things, like you might say, well, I, I, I can worship God and money. I can worship two different things. I can have these two different, I can still love God, but I can still hold this, and I can keep this, and I can treasure this, and I can treasure God some, but I also want to treasure this. I can keep these two things. Aaron says, these are your gods. Well, what do they ultimately become? One thing. All of these things become one thing. So all of the these in our lives, whatever they are, the relationships that we hold dear, the possessions that we have, our home, our car, our 401k, our 403b, whatever kind of stocks or bonds or possessions or things that we hold that seemingly offer us some sense of security and hope, those things that we treasure Those things all become one thing. And it's just money. It's just money. And we don't have the ability to worship one and the other. It will be one or the other. And we desire to be a people who love God. So much so that the things that we have 
wouldn't be stuff we're asking, what what I have to give away. Really, we'd say, "What, what do I have I can give away? What are the things that I can bless others with? The questions for us this morning are to think through, when it looks like I treasure something, do I really treasure it? I want to share with you, I I think in a beautiful way, I stand with you and sang with you as a room full of, a people full of hypocrisy this morning. We sang something together this morning. And some of you are already sensing it and knowing where I'm going with this. But we sang these words together. I give you everything. Anybody want to throw a hand up and say, I've given everything to God? Now, the reality is this. We long to, and that's the heart of the worship, and that's the heart of the song, right? That's the core of what we're seeing there. But in reality, we haven't given everything. But there is one who has given everything for us, and it's Jesus. Absolutely everything. In all purity, resisting every ounce of temptation, Jesus treasured. God the Father, and the heart of God the Father. And that means what mattered to the Father mattered to Jesus. And you know what that means? God doesn't need your treasure. He doesn't need it. All the possessions, all the things, all the stuff you have, he just doesn't need it. We talked last week about how God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. Here's how you can know that. God doesn't need your treasure And this is the wildest thing in the world. For a group of sinners, he's treasured you. You are what he has treasured. Not when you were great, not when you were doing pretty good, not when you were in jail, when you were doing well, but when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He's treasured you. He has loved you. Our response in giving isn't to treasure out of a should. Our response is, how can I not recognize that everything that I have is from him? I want to treasure him. I want to love the one who has loved me when I was fully, completely worthless and unlovable. He loved me. Some practical things that we can talk through about what it looks like to really pursue God and live according to his purpose. Number one, we're called to treasure God above all things. Just ask yourself this morning, am I I treasuring the Lord above all things? I think we have a heart where we're desirous of that, but is that reality? Second, here this can drive us to some more deeper places. Intentionally, can we ask ourselves this? If the purpose is to treasure God above all things, let's ask these questions. Number one, where is my heart? Because it's where our treasure is. What do I really value? I know what I want to say, but for me, for Michael, I know what I want to say, I really value. And then I have to ask this question of myself. Where's my money go? Where do things that I have go? What am I treasuring? Not just what I say I'm treasuring. What am I really, like, really treasuring? And then what does that look like for our community? Am I treasuring what's last? Do I look at my brothers and sisters around me and say, I'm dealing with immortal people here who will live forever, who will either be separated from God or with him fully. 
Man, am I willing to give of everything, of my time, of my, of my money, of my energy, of my ear, of my heart, of my presence, so that people can know and experience God? Are we treasuring what's last? As our worship team comes this morning and we close, there's, there's no easy way probably in our culture, unlike many, to just talk about money and to just say, what are you doing with your money? Some of you may be here for the first time today and say, look, dude, I don't know you. You don't have, there's, you don't have any relationship to me. Why, why are we talking about money? Well, here's the reality. God has blessed us. And Jesus teaches us that our heart and money are intertwined. And his desire for us is for us to live as people of gracious giving. And so I want to be very, very clear. Like, we're not in a giving series so that we can just get some more money and pay off some debt as a church and that we can all get the bank account up. Those things are beneficial, absolutely. But this is not a fundraiser. This is about faithfulness. This is about us following and walking in the spirit as God has called us to so that we can graciously give. Because, look, I'll tell you, I want you to give to the ministries of Double Oak Community Church because we believe in what God has called us to do and to spread the gospel and to train men and women and children to grow in grace and wisdom of who God is. But I also want you to give to other places than this. Give to Blanket Fort Hope that, that's trying to rescue people out of trafficking. Give to Alabama Childhood Food Solutions that is feeding people all throughout this area, county and beyond, that, that are in sustainable, like food security type situations. Man, give to save a life. Protect the lives of unborn children here in Chelsea and all the surrounding area in Shelby County. Give to all these kinds of ministries. May God make us a people who treasures him above all things, and has the same heart that God has, that looks around and says, I want to treasure what lasts. That person I see, those brothers and sisters, they are going to last. I want to give to that. If you will, bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we long to give, and yet, as we've so beautifully sung, Father, we need you to cause us to believe that Jesus is better. Because quite often, Father, we think the thing that we're holding, the thing that we long to purchase, the security that things in the world seemingly offer us are better. But Father, we confess that you are better. Your son, Jesus, is better. Spirit, you are better. So shape us. Make us into those who give graciously. And Father, from this heart, that when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Father, you have treasured us through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son and the indwelling of your Spirit within us. How then, Father, can we not give everything for your glory? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.